You are listening to excerpts from the 2023 Spring Ango opening ceremony at Zen Mountain Monastery. Dharma holder Gokhan Bonnebaker announces the commencement of the Ango with Zabet Tenfuloisel as the chief disciple. Abbot Jeffrey Shugan Arnold Roshi then gives a Dharma talk introducing this Ango's theme, Birth and Death. We understand the guidelines of this ongoing intensive and assume full responsibility for observing them. Please guide us in our practice. The following practitioners have made a formal commitment to train in this spring 2023 ongo. Manju Daishi, Shinyo Sonja. Kodo Shugen, Fucho Hojin. At the request of the head of the order, let it be known that Tenfu Loisel has been appointed chief disciple for this spring 2023 training intensive. The Sangha of the Ten Directions has gathered to enter the three-month training intensive, Ango. Peaceful dwelling is here, now. Peaceful dwelling is the practice of this training period. It is the heart and mind of all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. It is the heart and mind of each one of us. Master Dogen taught, participation in the practice period is the body, mind, eye, and life energy of Buddha ancestors. Those who abide peacefully in the practice period are Buddha ancestors and descendants of Buddha ancestors. The practice period is the Buddha's instruction, an authentic custom that maintains the Buddha Dharma Sangha treasure. Those within the house of Buddha ancestors should therefore wholeheartedly sit the three-month spring practice period. So we begin by a recognition by the Eno of all those who are participating in the ongoing service. Gokan passes your seat, uh, offer of a gosha. 
as I've given voice to by Dogen's teaching, this is a tradition that goes back not only to the time of Master Dogen, but to the time of the Buddha in different forms. And so there's a gathering of the Sangha, which traditionally would have been a monastic community, living and practicing together in a cloister for the whole three months. But Dharoshi opened this up for the whole Sangha, so monastic and lay, practicing here and at home. And so the names that were read are all those who are going to be uh, participating in the Ango. Um, many of you are here. Some of you are joining us at this moment from home. Seniors. And now a group of the senior students. These are students who have already gone through this process of chief disciple during Anango will offer their congratulations to the Shusa. We congratulate you on your And then the chief disciple will come in and offer bows and also pass through the Zendo to be acknowledged by all of you. And she is led by the chief disciple from the previous Ango last fall. I am still inexperienced in Zen training and feel inadequate to be chief disciple. But I appreciate you asking me to do so. It's okay. It's okay. Everyone, please join the Chief Disciple making an appreciatory standing bow to Shuvu Roshi. I respectfully announce that we have completed this Chief Disciple installation ceremony. Dogen taught the great way of all Buddhas thoroughly practiced is emancipation and realization. Emancipation means that in birth you are emancipated from birth and in death you're emancipated from death. And so we have begun our Ango, our three-month training intensive, and as many of you know and as Dogen's uh, teaching made clear as, as Gokan was reading it, 
This is a long tradition. It actually finds its roots in the origins of Buddhism during the rainy seasons in India when the monastics could not and were not to travel, but they would gather together in cloisters and do what practitioners do. (laughs) They would practice intensively during that period of time, and then they would resume their mendicant life, their wandering life. And so the way that has continued within the Zen tradition, particularly our own lineage, is in Ungo, peaceful dwelling, where, as I said, traditionally monastics would come from their home temples or wherever they might be, and they would gather at various temples, the ones where they wanted to study with a particular teacher or where they were living, and come together and uh, practice Sangho, practice the training period. And if you look at, there's a fascicle by Master Dogen in the Shobogenzo, which goes through this in great detail, and you see how much of what we did today and what we do is coming from um, those hundreds of years of tradition. So the theme for the Ango is birth and death. Every evening we chant the evening gatha, evening verse. Let me respectfully remind you. Respectfully because you are already a Buddha. You have Buddha mind, you have enlightened nature that is vast and unfettered. And so calling out to you respectfully reminding you, like speaking wisdom to wisdom, like speaking something that you already know, but may not yet have remembered, touched directly, remind you because we forget, and we must remember, and we must be reminded by our Dharma friends, by the many signs of our attachments, by the suffering of the world, Life and death are of supreme importance. Life and death in Buddhism, which as you know, is helping us, teaching us, bringing us to realize the non-duality of dualities. Our senses, our minds, our consciousness sees things in terms of what something is and then what it is not. And so birth and death, in a sense, is the ultimate duality. And they are of supreme importance. Born into this life, we are living and we will pass. That is a certainty of every living thing. And so in that, in that, we are in the company of all beings who have ever lived on this earth. All living things. In our coming into this life, we are joining in that great epic arrival. In our living, we are joining with all of those who have had life, lived a life. And in our dying, we are joining with all of those who have, are, and will pass from this life. Life and death like a cloud that comes and goes, like a season that seems to have a beginning and end like a thought that appears and persists and then can't be found. And the question that the Buddha gave to us is, but what is it that stands before us? What is it that is born? Why do we grasp 
so strongly to life in a way that makes it hard to fully embrace this life? Why do we reject death that makes it hard to embrace this life? Life and death are of supreme importance because we have this human life. This human life. We have hands and fingers. We have a thumb that allows us to grab. We can, as Master Dogen said, bring our hands together into Gasho. We can bow. We can sit. We can bring forth thoughts and intentions and direct ourselves towards a great aspiration. And so life is precious because it also doesn't last forever. The flowers that are soon to be coming are so beautiful because they are and because they don't last forever. We have the opportunity in this precious life to bring so much good into this world. We ourselves are that good too. Otherwise, how could we bring it forth? And yet we see how easily we can bring forth pain and confusion, greed and anger. We are here to do something quite different. Time swiftly passes by. This morning's thoughts, yesterday's preoccupations, where are they now? You may bring them up again, but they're not yesterday's. When we're young, time seems to stretch on forever. As we get older, we see how fleeting it is. It swiftly passes by an opportunity is lost. We cannot control the passage of time, this aging body. We can't avoid all illnesses or accidents from occurring. Master Dogen, as we monkey says, we may plan to live until we're 80 or 90 or 100, but we will die when we must die. I remember when I first encountered these teachings many, many years ago as a, as a teenager and feeling a, a kind of unexpected, like a breeze, like a spring breeze, some, a kind of refreshing experience of meeting, having, meeting these simple truths in these teachings that we're not trying to pretend that this was not happening or point to a way to avoid it, but rather to offer a path in. Shantideva said, the wanton lord of death, we can't predict when death will come, and it's life's tasks done or still to be done, we cannot control. And whether ill or well, we cannot trust our lives, our fleeting momentary lives. We don't know how long they last. My enemies, will cease to be, my friends, everyone dear to me will cease to be, and I myself will cease to be. Everything is destined to pass away because it's the nature of things. It's not a mistake, it's not a wrong, it's the nature of things. And so Shantideva says, if we don't practice when our, the conditions are fortunate, are favorable, then how do we think that we will when they're not? if we can't summon forth the wisdom that we possess, our compassion in moments that are very conducive, supporting that, encouraging that, such as training does, then 
how much more difficult, if unlikely it might be, when those conditions are very different. And so we should strive to awaken, take heed, take heed, listen, look. Like the story of the four messengers, sickness, old age, and death, and the path that the person who had died in meeting Yama, the Buddhist lord of death, and was dealing with his reckoning of a life that he did not live well. And Yama said, didn't you see all the messengers I sent you? Didn't you see the person who was sick? And the deceased said, yes, I did. And the Yama said, but you didn't, didn't you see that that was you? And the man said, no, I didn't. Didn't you see the person that was aging? The man said, yes, I did. Didn't you realize that that was you? No, I didn't. And so Yam ultimately said, well, you will, you will, you will then, you must then accept, work with, deal with the karma that you have created. And so to take heed, to strive to awaken, to not squander this precious life. And so Dogen says, emancipation, thoroughly practiced by the Buddhas, by those, our ancestors, means that in birth, in our lives themselves, we are emancipated. And in death, we are emancipated from death. Thus, he goes on to say, there is detachment from birth and death and entering intimately into birth and death. This is the complete practice of the great way. There is letting go of birth and death and there is vitalizing birth and death. This is the thorough practice of the way. And this is the practice of our ango. And as I reckon I say every ango, whatever the theme is, is nothing new, <laughs> right? It's not like we are pulling out something no one's ever thought about or heard. We're bringing out something that is the, the lifeblood of Buddha Dharma, and we're just bringing it forth. And now we will focus on this, concentrate on this. This one aspect, which, as is true with all of our themes, is inclusive of all aspects, but allowing us to focus on the particular aspects that are embedded here in birth and death. Why? So that we can be emancipated in life and be emancipated in death. Be free to live and die, to sit and walk and work and play, and apply ourselves, and rest. Because things are non-dual, if we don't make our peace with death, how can we be at peace with life? If we are not at peace at life, then how can we be at peace at the moment of our death? And so what is needed for this journey that we are embarking on? On the Ango board, there are four quadrants origination. And so what is needed begins in Buddha nature. Because of Buddha nature, we are here. Because of Buddha nature, we can embark on this journey. We have embarked on this journey. We can emancipate ourselves in birth and death because what the Buddha realized is we are already emancipated. We are that one. As Dogen said, if you want to be a person of suchness, of emancipation, 
If you want to realize emancipation, you have to be a person of emancipation. You have to be of that nature. But don't worry, because you already are such that, such a person. And so origination is already present now. Nothing is missing. Virtue, right effort, the precepts, compassion, right living. This virtue, when we talk of virtue in, in Buddhism, it means bringing forth all of those excellent qualities. That when we see in other people are so inspiring, right? When we see people who are living well, who are caring, who are taking care of others, taking care of their world, it inspires us. Well, we too can be that person, offering that inspiration by being inspired ourselves to live in such a way, bringing forth that virtue, bringing it forth and cultivating it, strengthening it, making it more and more natural, right? Effortless, wise, perseverance. We have three months ahead of us, three months, three years, three decades, a lifetime. What is perseverance? It's to take one step, one inhalation, one awareness, one letting go, one returning. When is that not possible? No matter what we encounter, how difficult it might be. I mean, just think of the profound training that we receive in Kinhin. When you feel like you cannot move forward, the way forward seems blocked. You don't know what the way forward is. Take one step. Return one more time. And then attainment. The great way of all Buddhas thoroughly practiced is emancipation and realization. Attainment, we always think of, usually think of as enlightenment, realization, seeing the nature of the self, which is prajna, is to great liberation. But that alone, wisdom alone, we might think of as a body, the body of dharma, the body of reality, but it's got no arms and legs. It's got no voice. Compassion are those limbs and hands and eyes and voice. And so what the teachings tell us, particularly in the Mahayana, is that the main way to sort of guide our development or gauge our development, which of course everybody wants to do, right? We all want to know where we are. How far have we come? How far do we have to go? Right? What's our grade? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, you know, we're trained to think that way. Okay. So you want to know what the standards are? How much have your negative emotions diminished? Selfishness. How much has that quieted down? How much has compassion become more available to you? How much more often is generosity? Do you find that just coming forth? or that you practice? How strong is your faith? How steady has that become? The teachings say the sign of learning is to be calm and gentle. Insight, without the development of these virtues, these qualities, 
is not considered enlightenment. It's not really considered wisdom. It may be insight, but it's not the wisdom of the Buddha. Because it's not within the Bodhisattva path, because it's not benefiting. It's not benefiting others, and it's actually not benefiting the person. That insight is, in a sense, in the freezer. It's buried under snow. And so if you want to think about attainment, or you get discouraged because you think you haven't had a profound enlightenment experience or a simple enlightenment experience, consider these things. Because these are what the teachings are telling us. And that these, when developed within, are developing understanding and wisdom, become the great mother of creation, Prajnaparamita. And so we gather here as a Sangha, here in this hall. Hojin Sensei is with students, Sangha members at the temple in the city. We have students in our affiliates in Buffalo and Vermont and New Zealand. New Zealand is gearing up. They actually do an ongo hike up small mountains, <laughs> small hills, in the summertime. Well, actually, it's becoming, uh, what would it be, becoming autumn. Summer becoming autumn for them. But they've already examined, looked at the agreement sheet and all the information. I've been having communications with them, so they're, they're with us. Our affinity groups practicing together. We will be taking some more steps, this ongo, to bring forth ways for men in the Sangha, those who identify as male in the Sangha, to gather and study the ways in which men have been taught within the system of patriarchy in ways that are not beneficial to self and other. What is that self that has been created, that is identified in ways, in unhealthy ways, to a male form? Hogan Sensei will be continuing to lead the practicing members in his online teachings. And so all of the Sangha gathering together, those of you at home right now, coming together, gathering, united in our desire, each within ourselves, each at our own place, own level, to practice, to examine our lives in this particular way together during this Sangha, to bring forth, as Dogen said, peaceful dwelling. What a wonderful way to hold, to, to speak of this peaceful dwelling. Isn't that what everybody wants? At a time where there is much conflict and lack of peace in the world. Can we together practice and demonstrate the human potential when given a little help, or a lot, as we have, to actually live together in harmony as peaceful dwelling, as enlightened beings? We speak of Ango as an intensification, right? So what does that mean? Bringing more intention, clear intention, awareness, mindfulness, 
dedication to every day. So during Ango, so those of you particularly living at home, because our things change here for the residents in ways that sort of demonstrate and make, give form, make sort of tangible that we are doing Ango. We will get up earlier, rise earlier, sit more. And so how can you do that at home? How can you create a sense that you are engaging in a training period, Ango, together with all the Sangha, in a way that has a kind of tangible form for you, to give it power. In other words, what will you be doing over the next three months that is different, or somehow heightened or brought more attention to during these three months? Think about that. So it's not just this, and then you go home, and everything remains the same. Create a container, a structure, a vessel for yourself. And it has to be a vessel that fits in your home. Right? If you live in a small house, you can't bring in a huge ship that won't fit, right? It's got to fit. And it's got to fit, you know, everything. Family, relationships, work, the the whole deal. And so to think about the different ways in which intensification. And if we think about the paramita, so we giving. So let our practice be more generous, more spacious, more embracing, more trusting during this period of time, right? So when you wake up, you know, invoke and you bring to mind, you know, an, a pledge or an intention or a, an invocation for the day that all that you want to bring in your practice, that you want to do that for yourself, and then you also want to bring that to others and make that very clear, articulate that. Use the power of your voice, the power of language to create karma, right? to change your consciousness, to establish something each day. That's the lifeblood of this. The precepts, let our thoughts and our words and our actions be more grounded in, more infused with compassion. Study those precepts, practice them. Practice both aspects so that we see all the obvious and subtle ways in which we are taking life, not being truthful, not being clear-minded speaking ill of others in ways that are not helpful. Patience. Let our practice be unbounded by expectation and attachments to goals. Patience, in essence, is non-aggression. Impatience is a form of aggression. So impatience is non-aggression. It's such a beautiful, it's one of the beautiful mental factors called in early Buddhism. I mean, think about it, isn't it? It's a beautiful quality, a beautiful virtue. Sometimes arriving there is difficult. (laughs) Finding our way into patience sometimes is difficult. But once it begins to arrive, it's beautiful. And it also communicates. And goodness knows this culture, this society needs to develop our patience. And Ango is a good time for that because as we establish our commitments, which is really just a way of our reflecting and articulating and saying, yes, I am going to practice this in these ways. So it's not vague. It's not amorphous. It's, like, it's not like, yeah, I'm all in. But I don't know what the hell that means, right? <laughs> and so we, not to define and not to nail things down, but to bring it into focus, right? 
So when we wake up each day, it's pretty clear to us what practicing this day means. And then we turn towards those things, and there they are. The other side of that is that as the ongoing unfolds in your life, gives you little treats along the way, right? Unexpected surprises that call to you, call for you, right? And that may impinge upon, challenge those commitments. Practice them, deal with them, incorporate them. You know, I think if we need commitment, we need a clarity about practice, we might call it discipline so that we so that we're actually practicing, but we also need to be flexible and pliant. That's another beautiful quality, another beautiful virtue. If we're only disciplined, that can be very rigid, right? And our life can suffer, people around us can suffer, but we're, if we're only flexible, then we never, may never get to it. And so we have to find our balance, particularly those of you practicing at home. And, and you know, it's kind of a, a common thread that practitioners will start out with very strong aspirations and a lot of enthusiasm, and then life, you know, keeps happening. And it can be difficult sometimes to maintain that. And so, you know, let ongo be a positive experience to the best of your ability, which doesn't mean it's always going to be easy or enjoyable or you're always going to feel, you know, a certain way. But that there's overall a positive association with this. This is for you, right? It's for us. It's not homework. I mean, actually, homework is good. It's supposed to be good, too, right? <laughs> so call it what you will. But it is for our benefit. It is for our development. And so when it gets challenged, you know, don't, try not to turn that into a, a burden, right? Just work it. Take it up. Be flexible. Hold to your commitments and do the best you can. Patience. Vigor. Vigor paramita to be enthusiastic. Spirit, you know, I sometimes have said to the residents, you know, who we get up early, you know, when the alarm goes off in the morning, just get up. Just get up. Right? You know what mornings can be like, right? <laughs> Maybe for some of you, right? Right? It's like when you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind goes to that place, it's like that's not a time to start making decisions. Right? The mind can so easily go into dark places. So when you wake up and if you're feeling tired and the day just seems like one long, heavy haul in front of you, move yourself, move your body, bring your mind to a sutra, bring your mind to an invocation, right? In other words, start engaging your practice. Don't get lost in that lack of vigor in that moment. Bring it forth and it'll shift. It'll shift. Zazen, let each day be an offering and an honoring. Let us honor this gift, this art, artless art of meditation. When we bow to our seats, let that be a gesture of respect and and gratitude that we have been given, we have received this teaching on how to stop and turn towards and bring forth these profound qualities and study this mind and actually begin to understand what is happening, 
how things work, how to untie the knots, how to bring forth compassion for those who can make it very difficult to have compassion for, how to be wise in our compassion. And wisdom, Paramita, to practice letting go of our self-clinging, our self-consciousness, to trust that we have arrived at this point without an intrinsic, enduring self. We may still believe in it, we may still clutch at it, but you know what? It has not gotten you here. It is not something you can rely upon, because it is not that thing. In the Ango, we'll be studying two, what I feel like are beautiful, short fascicles of Master Dogen, birth and death and undivided activity. And they both have very, they're so, I, feel, I always think of them as very companion-like fascicles because they, they, they echo each other. They voice some of the same things, but they also have their own particular teaching. And so I'm really looking forward. I've been enjoying these fascicles and, and studying them for years, and, and I really was looking forward to the opportunity of bringing those forward. And then also the Mahaparanibbana Sutta, which is an amazing sutra, uh, early sutra in the Pali Canon. It's the last sutra. It chronicles the last period of life of the Buddha. I can't help but think of it as an opera. I'm not suggesting that anyone make an opera <laughs> of it, but I think of it, it is operatic. It has everything. The Buddha's basic teachings in the beginning, very interesting that he talks about in various communities, lay and monastic, and how to keep them healthy, how to have them be sustainable and vibrant. He's preparing. He's preparing for his departure from this life. What does the Buddha do? What did the Buddha, what was he thinking about? What did he need to attend to? What did he want to give his attention to? What were the teachings that were most important at that time that he wanted to leave his students with, fresh in their minds? He has some amazing encounters with Mara and basically agrees to fulfill a request that Mara came to him with very early in the Buddha's career as a Buddha. It's, it's an amazing story. And then all that ensues as a result of that, as the Buddha begins to let go of his life force, consciously, and the encounters he has along the way, and the moment of his passing, and then what follows. It's really just an amazing piece. It's long. And so I'll be taking that up in the three mandos and just selecting different aspects of it to bring out. Um, but I've also been looking forward to an opportunity to, to, to work with that together. In the mandos, we'll be doing fasatsus or new lavaos. There will be an ongoing intensive in which we'll be taking up through sitting and, and teachings and practice together some basic things that tend to come up around life and death. Fear, anxiety, courage, acceptance, loss, and grief. The art practice, Hojin Sensei has put together a really 
wonderful art practice that is a contemplation of the four signs of existence, birth, aging, sickness, and death, as a way to bring our attention and contemplate both internally in a reflective aspect, but also by seeing it around us. And remember, we're coming into spring, right? Coming out of winter. And so those, those signs, the realities of those signs of existence are all around us, right? And so to let nature, let this earth show us those signs, bring our attention, and then how do we express those? Our chief disciple, Ten Fu, is, has been with us for many years. She um, became a student in early 2000s, um, studying with Dada Roshi Dijikai many years ago. Her name means heavenly wind. It's a nice name. <laughs> <laughs> and has lived in New York for all of these years, been very, very active for many years. When I was there for the decade that I was there, we were able to work very closely together, and she's been very, very generous in offering herself in service to the temple over those many years, taking care of various responsibilities. And so it's a real pleasure to be able to have you be on this seat at the beginning of this great period of not knowing and possibility. And so it's a very rich time. And as I was saying this morning at the closing, in our closing remarks, you know, we're so fortunate to have this tradition. What is a tradition? In Buddhism, it's a, we think of it as a vessel. It's a vehicle, right? And we speak of it that way. A vessel like a ship that we get into, right? Standing on one shore, and then we go on a journey go through some difficult waters, through some unheavenly winds, various challenges, some that we can anticipate, many that we cannot. During this ango, as, as virtually every ango, there will be birth and death. Certainly, in the world, it's happening right now, but even closer. And so for all of us, this is so relevant. For some sangha members, this is extremely pertinent because they are facing their aging and illness and death closely now. And so that tradition, that vessel which we have been given, and that is our great gift and responsibility to hold and to travel well with and to maintain, right? So you have to keep keeping the boat in shape, right? And so, and to do that, we have to make it anew, right? So in a, in a sense, that ship has come down to us over these 2,500 plus years, but now we're building one anew with the beginning of this ongo. And in that, it needs to be new, it needs to be fresh. And obviously, we are bringing with us all that we have done so far, right? Both the karma that binds us, but all of the good work, the good practice, the good efforts, the good choices we've made that have been so responsible for us coming here. And then we need to do this again for the first time. Because what happens if we don't do that? What if we just do it again? 
It begins to die. And you can have never been here before and walk in, and if you're alert, you can see if it's alive or if it's dying. I have done that. I have walked into communities that I have never been in before and realized there is something going on here that is alive. And I have walked into other communities and thought, hmm, I'm concerned. Who's tending the fire here? And so we are not to do this again, but we are to do this again for the first time. And that's just a matter of mind. We call it beginner's mind. That's a real thing. It's a real thing that is the natural capacity of our mind to be fresh. And we learn how to renew and to renew and to renew. What a gift that is. Hongzhou said, this solitary glory that we have inherited, that is Buddha Dharma, is to be deeply preserved. Let it endure throughout ancient and present times as the merging of all differences into Prajnaparamita, the great mother of wisdom and compassion. That is what we're doing through ancient and present times. We walk in the footsteps, Buddhas and ancestors, and we walk together. And so I'll end with the words of Nagarjuna, a teaching from his guide to the Bodhisattva path. Act resolutely and immediately. Practice for the supreme benefit of all. In this, do not wait for tomorrow, because tomorrow is too distant a time. Do not wait for tomorrow, because tomorrow is too distant a time. For how can you ensure this life, even for the blink of an eye? And that could sound very ominous without a path, without a way to face forward into what is real and true, and to find joy there and emancipation and a lifetime of possibility. And so I hope we can all hear his words in that way. Because we cannot ensure this life, oh, how marvelous it is. Yes. <laughs> and we will forget. And so let us remember. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats, and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.